0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Bet on Yourself podcast, where we speak to some of the world's most inspirational people who have all at some point in their careers taken a huge bet on themselves, transforming them personally and professionally. Today, I am joined by Sage Kialahilani Kiamno, an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and change maker, and proud native Hawaiian, originally from the island of Oahu. She is a nationally recognized diversity, equity, and inclusion leader with experience in talent, Diversification, retention, employment development, internal and external DEI communications, DEI training, data analytics, and global DEI strategy. Sage currently works for Amazon Studios and Prime Global as global diversity, equity, and inclusion leader. Both professionally and personally, Sage is relentlessly committed to intersectional social justice, advocating for communities of color, the LGBTQIA community, and pay equity. Her work is grounded in centering the experiences of historically underrepresented communities with those with intersectional identities to achieve equity. I first met Sage at this year's South by Southwest Conference and was hugely inspired by her, her story, and her incredible work. I am so excited to be talking with Sage today and share her story with you. And if you enjoy it as much as I think you will, then please be sure to let me know in all the usual places, such as a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you happen to be listening right now. Sage, I want to welcome you to the Bet on Yourself podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to... It's important to me to properly pronounce your full name. I have been practicing. <laughs> I watched like a bunch of YouTube videos of interviews with you so that I would get it correct. So here's my best attempt. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Sage Kialu Hilani. Kialu Hilani,
1: Kino. Yeah, Kiamno. Oh.
0: Well. <laughs> <Keanu>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really yeah. practiced it several times. And then I was like, I had this terror of like. What if the people that I've been rehearsing to said it wrong and I've been practicing it like 50 times and, and got it incorrect. So sorry, it's really important to me to say it properly. So thank you for the pro- proper pronunciation. No,
1: thank you, Anne. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Well, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I actually first saw you speak at South by Southwest where I was also a speaker here in 2022. And the second I saw you, I emailed my team and I was like, I would love to have her on the Bet On Yourself podcast because I think so much about your approach to your life and career and your ambitions would really resonate with our listeners. So where we like to start here at Bet On Yourself is way back in the very, very beginning. I am curious, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Like what did small sage dream that she was going to become?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much. And first off, for having me on this podcast. Aloha, everyone. Aloha, listeners. My name is Sage Kealohilani Kiamno. Um, my pronouns is she her. And I am a proud Native Hawaiian woman from the island of Oahu, Hawaii. Um, and what I, you know, little Sage or, you know, little Ke'elohi, um, what I've always wanted to be when I grew up, right? That was a question.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Funny enough, I always wanted to, to be an attorney. I always no. wanted to be a lawyer. You were a serious yeah. little girl. Did you I love was very arguing? Serious. <laughs> yes. Um, so you know, when I was younger, we actually um, we went through a field trip, and we want we went to um, like a court, like a courtroom, and you know we discussed uh, land laws in fourth or fifth grade, uh, and really doing uh, trials, like mock trials um and debating one another about land rights in hawaii because land rights uh especially back in the 1800s 1900s was a very um tumultuous time of um colonization and native hawaiians losing land and you know what it meant for native hawaiians who did not speak english and also did not write um in english right, uh, and that was in our culture um in our culture land was given to us by our by our ancestors and they didn't need a contract and once the u.s came in um, and slap, slap contracts in their faces that we couldn't read or, you know, understand. Um, so as a little fourth and fifth grader, uh, we debated that. And that was kind of something that I really was attracted to is that I really love defending. I love defending people. I love creating arguments and proving a point or providing evidence and research. So that was what I wanted to do when I was when I was young. I
0: love that. I wasn't expecting that answer, but it actually really makes sense given the direction your life and passions have taken in your your career. Uh, We will come back to the next phases of your development, but I also want to get into a little bit more of the fun facts of exploring who Sage is. And I have heard that you are a national canoe paddling champion. In fact, you've done a 32-mile open ocean race. Please, how did that get started? Is that part because of the inspiration of... um, I've seen it in Hawaiian tradition. Is that how you first got into that? Was it through your connections
1: here? Definitely, yeah, through my culture. So Native Hawaiians, we uh, canoe paddle, uh, just like Native Americans in the continental U.S., um, but also across the Polynesia. uh, Canoe racing is a part of my culture. It's a, it's, it's a sport that I grew up with as a teenager. And when I moved to Seattle, Washington, uh, I found a Hawaiian canoe racing uh, club and we gathered a team of, of women. And we actually, it's about six of us that flew down to Newport Beach, California. And we did the national, like the nationally famous race called the Catalina race. And so from Newport Beach to Catalina Island, uh, open Ocean, we did about 32 miles, and we won. Uh, we won fourth place out of 75 crews, and apparently, fourth place is still we still get trophies. And I'm like, oh wow, that's amazing! Um, and so, out of 75 crews, we won fourth place, um, and we were amongst the ranks of like really like top contenders, like the Tahitian teams. Um, and these women are like Amazonian; like this is their sport. They're like pros, um, and the fact that we actually placed with them was a big deal. And so love canoe racing. It keeps me grounded into my culture. It's exactly what my ancestors did back in the day. Um, and it connects me to water because water is a big connection for our Native Hawaiian. So yeah, I'm a really proud uh, peddler and has been a great, um, yeah, it's been a great grounding me- mechanism as I pursue my own, you know, just my life, but also my career. I think it's incredible. I'd
0: love to hear about people's passions and hobbies, especially something at that level where it connects you to something deep inside your core. Um, At Google, I was there for 12 years. And one of my favorite parts of interviewing was sometimes I was um, challenged to assess one of our most important scores, which was your Googliness. And your Googliness score was just a reflection of, can we see your passions, your quirks, your passion, your strength, your drive coming out in more than just your work or education? And so your mm. canoe championship would have scored high on the Googliness scale. I like that. Oh. Maybe it tells me <laughs> a lot about you, right? Just in that one um, hobby that you have. I've learned so much about what's important to you and and ways that you like to express it. That's fascinating. <laughs> um, so early in your career, you well, before your career, you started your education uh, still there in Hawaii. You you studied um, public relations and business marketing at the University of Hawaii. What attracted you to that major originally? Was that inspired by maybe that, that fourth grade experience of, of how you wanted to express yourself and represent your culture and community?
1: You're correct. Um, you know, communications, public relations has always been fascinating to me, especially marketing, because how do you persuade people? um persuasion has always been very fascinating to me because it actually spurs people into action right whether it's good or bad or what have you right and that was really uh interesting to me especially in high school i was a, i was in speech and debate um and competed in spe- in debate uh tournaments ba- uh back in high school but also in college and you know how what are the methods of persuasion um and i think communications Public relations and marketing is always such a key driver that people really underestimate. Um, you know, when we think about political movements, social movements, PR marketing has branding has always been a part of it. Now we can see the, um, you know, now we can actually see the power of that just through social media and everything else. Uh, and that's why I got into comms is that I knew that I'm a strong communicator. Um, I really write well, but I also like communicating ideas and I'm a storyteller. Um, and the only probably the only uh, subject was was probably that was the PR and the um, business marketing. So that's how i that's why I decided to pursue that.
0: I find it fascinating how these connectors throughout our life, There's some consistent elements that stay the same, and then the way in which we present that or or show up in our our work, our community uh, can evolve over time. And I find that fascinating about your career, especially in your early career. You tried on a lot of things, and I find this is the modern approach to careers. I'm about 10 years older than you, and um, that really didn't – people weren't moving and trying out as much in their early careers. I love to see this happening now because you learn so much about what you do and don't like where it wakes up new talents or interests that you didn't know you had. And um, so I wonder if you can walk me through the first couple of years of your career because you did some really incredible things. And I also think it's interesting that you've had a full full circle uh, with Amazon in your career as well. You started there early and now you're back there now. So just in those first couple of years, talk me through how you chose your opportunities and how you explored some of your talents um, by trying on different organizations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so a context, everyone, I am an Aries woman. So if anyone's into astrology, I'm an Aries woman and I'm a big risk taker. Um, I'm all about action Um, and I'm all all about taking a chance on an opportunity. And so my approach, especially in college through my internships was like, okay, so what, what interests me? Um, And let me see what kind of opportunities I could see uh, what I could take, but also what can I learn from them? Um, So like first was diving into public relations, working at an agency, Second was working in um, communications for, a, you know, for the governor, for in politics. What does that look like? Um, and then, yeah, right after college, I decided to apply to the top probably four or five tech companies because tech, especially as a like a, a millennial, um, that really influenced me. And I knew that my spirit was rebellious. I knew I wanted to work fast. I knew I wanted to be in technology and that's why I I, uh, applied at these tech companies and uh, first was at Amazon doing PR for Kindle Fire, the Kindle Fire team at that time. Um, And yeah, I mean, my first experience out of of college and it was a whirlwind because not only was it um, a culture shock as a native Hawaiian moving to the U.S. mainland um, and that totally just Hawaii to Seattle. I think people always ask me, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Why "Why leave paradise for the rain? Why? (laughs) Exactly. Um, But that was a great experience. Um, But I just knew that it was a large company. And I went to a Catholic school all my life, an all-girls Catholic school. um, And I went to a large college, state college. But uh, it was tough for me to work in that environment where everything at that point in my life was new. Uh, And so I decided to leave Amazon and work at startups. So I worked at a couple of startups um, focused in all different types of industries, whether it's women's organizations or real estate, um, because I wanted to work on smaller teams with bigger impact um, because I wanted to own, like I wanted to own my projects. I wanted to get credit for them and I wanted to work with no boundaries, Um, but I knew that really early on. And so that's why I was able to kind of move because. In my, in, in my own mind, I know this is crazy for a lot of people, is that like my ancestors and my family worked really hard for me to take these opportunities and take risks. Um, I learned through my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. It's like, I do not wanna stay in a career that I absolutely hate. Um, I, I knew, I knew the toll it took on women especially um like staying at a job for five or ten years and you knew you know that you want more growth i'm a little about growth and if something is not working working for me i leave <laughs> and i think that's not a bad thing um and i don't think it's a bad thing you know at the, at the end of the day companies don't have your best interest and that's a very controversial um statement to say but i think for women especially deciding you know, when something is not working for them, no longer working or benefiting them, you can leave a situation. Um, and that can span from anything outside of your career as well. And so I took a lot of those risks early on because I wanted to grow, thrive, and accelerate um, and learn different things. Um, and through my, all my, I would say, you know, a lot, a lot of people like my career failures or like my gaps or just like, you know, me trying things for a year and a half or two years, I've gathered all of this information and this skill set. Um, And it made me so uh, uh, adaptive. So I'm able to adapt to a lot of situations. I know how to kind of quickly um, move and look for resources. Um, And I know how to tell a story because you need to really sell that idea of why you're transitioning or how you pivot. Um, And that's why it really led me to entrepreneurship, which was my my previous work before Amazon um, currently. So that's pretty much what, what my career looked like um, early on and why why it was important for me to move.
0: There's so much I want to unpack there because I think it's incredible examples to people right now who might be in a moment of pivot. So many people are participating in this great resignation that is now becoming the great realization. And sometimes Mm. it can be a little bit challenging. Not all of us maybe have that compass as early as you did. It took me a while to develop my own. I think a lot of ways it's because of my timid nature, but I'm a Libra, by the way, so I'm the opposite oh. of a risk taker. I'm a balancer, I'm a caregiver. Yes. I'm all I, I do my spreadsheets for decision making. It's ridiculous. But I um I think because of my more timid nature, um it took me a while to discover what is my individual mission vision and value statement. And I it, It sounds to me like, do you think this was true at the time? It sounds to me like you knew what you wanted to get out of each of these opportunities you were trying. Did you have that clarity of thought or is that something that became clear in retrospect of like, I am in this role or I'm going to this smaller organization or in this purpose driven organization because I want this out of that experience?
1: Exactly. Um, It's setting expectations at the beginning of it, right? Like knowing when you, especially when you are pivoting or going into a new position or a new career path is asking yourself, what is it that I'm looking for out of this experience? It doesn't have to be long-term, it can be short-term, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be the right term for you, right? But but at least coming with that expectation helps you not internalize when things don't work out. Um, I think that's what happens with a lot of us is that we've been so the dream that a career is linear, right? It's a ladder in which where we climb, we pick a career and we stick to that career and that's forever your career, um, and that's no longer the case. Now we have free range of now looking at her careers as a jungle gym, or one of those gyms that you know those jungle gyms where you can try you know different moves. It's like rock climbing, right? Um, and figuring out the different the different paths, and you can go back and change plans, um, and you know evaluating risk versus reward, right? Like. Yes, you know, maybe this is financially not the, you know, not the the best option, but it's going to give you the tools and, you know, skills necessary to make more, you know, more better financially, you know, d- better decisions or what have you, right? So for me, it's about looking at it of like, in this one lifetime, you know, on this planet, what are the skills, lessons, people that you want to meet? or have right that to me that to me is important uh, because especially the in the range of diversity that to me gives you a more vibrant and also um vast different um skill sets um and a lot of people would argue with me because this is where i i have a lot of friends who are gen x or um older 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 than my uh, older millennials and we all we often kind of talk about this too um because you know the other debating the, the debating argument is that, you know, millennials and Gen Zers are not going to be able to master a skill because it takes about 10 years to master a skill. Um, and so we need more folks who stick with a position and and learn through the career path of a traditional career path for 10 years. Um, and I often argue that that concept because I believe that in in all of these experiences, whether it's one or two years, you learn so much about yourself and you get to the why faster. You totally get to the why faster. You don't waste time.
0: I think because I am 10 years older than you, I I came up in an environment that was much less empowered. People felt um, that you had to stay for a long time. So I kind of, I'm glad that my very first entry point into my career was Amazon as well. My I was straight out of university. I worked at Amazon from 2002 to 2005. So it was a different animal at the time that I joined. But I learned <laughs> really, really fast. And it nurtured me out of this timid nature of mine. And it taught me to be an entrepreneur. And that is among many lessons that Jeff taught me while I was there. Um, but I think that changed my approach to this environment that I was in where I stayed at Google for 12 years, which Even, you know, for my generation is a very long time, especially at a tech company. But looking back, I can see that I really reinvented myself about every three years. I started asking those questions of like, what expertise do I want to start to be known? Like, where can I learn new skills? Where are the leaders I want to emulate? What was that like for you? It sounded like you had good clarity of what was important to you. You were trying lots of things so you could get to your why faster. Did you engage with and seek out mentors? Does anyone stand out to you as somebody who really helped shepherd you along as you were trying to learn as much and as fast as possible about yourself and what resonated with your
1: purpose-driven approach to your career? Definitely. Um, I've had a range of mentors, but I actually call them a board of directors. Um, and a lot, a lot of these women um, were attracted to me. So the, the, the funny thing is that I actually didn't choose these women. Um, I knew that, especially while I was, um, being more boisterous, being more public and speaking out and loudly about what I wanted out of my career, um, and spoke more often publicly, that's when women who really valued me and wanted to invest in me came to me and said, Hey, I would love to be your mentor. Like I would like to support you in your work. Um, and that's why I really want to encourage listeners right now who are listening in about you know, where could I find these board of directors or where could I find these mentors? And I think, you know, because the power of social media and these outlets, um, you know, really manifesting, but also being very intentional and boisterous about what you're looking for in your career, the people will find you. People like you will find you. Um, And the more that you say it out loud, and the more that you can bring it to conversation boldly, The more that you're courageous about it, um, because I know it can be scary saying, like, hey, I would like to pivot into a tech career. You know, what does that look look like? Because, you know, sometimes people are so afraid of failure, they don't even want to say it out loud, right? Because it's like, it's such a bold thing for them to say, but it's actually like, it it is bold, but we need to say it out into existence. So the people that we're looking for that need to support us uh, find us. And so throughout my career, um, I've always been, uh, pretty public and uh, voiceless about what I was looking for in my next phase, of, uh, each, in each phase of my career, especially when I was an entrepreneur. I leveraged LinkedIn um, and Instagram and um, did a lot of speaking engagements, um, which is scary because I grew up actually being very, really, really shy. I actually was very shy. Um, really? And yes, to the point where like, you know, because I, so I grew up, um, in a, in a Catholic school. And when you're about in kindergarten, so you're six or seven years old, they would actually have you read the liturgy in front of church. Oh. Like you barely don't know your ABCs and you're reading <laughs> off of, a you ancient know, text. A, a, ancient text, Okay. <laughs> and you don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and y- you know, that, that, I mean, it was trauma, but it was out of that trauma and fear. Um, it forced me to, um, Yeah, to read and speak publicly um, and break through that fear. And so once I started publicly speaking and people related to me, um, a lot of women who are older than me, who had um, more veteran careers, came to me and said, hey, I know this is something that you love to do. You know, this is your your mission, your values, your why. Let me and support you. So that's how I was able to obtain them. And, you know, and mainly they have been women.
0: I love that. I I knew you would be a good fit for this podcast. I just knew it because we talk so much about that, about sometimes it's just – the hardest part is just saying it out loud, breathing life into that dream so that other people can sponsor and mentor you and guide you who have been there before. And I really resonate to your journey of public speaking. I'd plan to come to this later in the conversation, but let's go there now because – I came into public speaking very unintentionally. Um, but once I started it, same thing. A couple of people in the audience came to me and gave me some tips, and then they recommended me to someone else, and then it became like this fuller thing. But I've always, even though I was painfully shy, young, and it's still kind of, I'm, I'm very much an introvert by nature, even though I don't present myself that way. People assume I'm an extrovert. Um, I love being on a stage. When I was young, that was in like musical theater or whatever, how, whatever way I could get on a stage. Um, and now in my adult life, I, I love forwarding this education and sharing it with other people. What was that path like for you? Was it, it sounds like it was more intentional in the beginning than my stumbling backwards into it. Um, was that, had that always been a goal of yours? Did you enjoy a spotlight or how did you, how have you grown it from from that very first stage of um well I guess your first one was reading in church but um, how did it grow how did how did the dots connect because I have a feeling it was probably nonlinear a little bit as well
1: yeah definitely nonlinear yeah um you know if you look at other great speakers uh, journeys doing this work um, like Oprah or dr Martin Luther King jr a lot of them started at church because you had to uh, speak the word of God right and so um, I was terrified and I hated it. I absolutely hated to be, I hated reading in class. I hated to, like, to be doing any public speaking from kindergarten to about fourth grade. Um, but then through that practice is that I knew at a young age, like I need to get over this. I said, I need to come overcome this fear. I can no longer have this cripple my life because this is something that's going to be reoccurring. Like I knew that. I knew that this was something that's going to prevent me from doing what I want to do because it's already happening at a very young age. I knew that somebody's going to ask me to speak one day. Um, and then about fifth grade, I had my teacher, Ms. Tom, you know, I decided to run for school secretary. And my, my fifth grade teacher, Ms. Tom, said, why are you running for secretary? We can run for president. And that was kind of my light bulb moment. I was like, that's, that's <laughs> you know, you're right. Um, and that, in that year I ran for school president of my, of my middle school and became a school president and through my, you know, um, student body, um, activities. So in eighth grade, I became a student body of of my, of that middle school. And then in high school class president, I was a Senator in, in my university of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, and those being a part of student body helped me really communicate my ideas, my, you know, my. My why of equity, you know, being the voice of the students, seeing the inequities within these schools and like also institutions in general, that forced me to talk, talk. I mean, to speak publicly, but also formulate what the ideas are, right? What is, what is the community, like, what are you trying to communicate and what are, what are the arguments Um and why you need to convince an institution to treat their students better? Or what are we asking for, Right. Um, and then also joining speech and debate and debating was so interesting because um, that's when I started to really come into my own and bloom into um, loving the stage. You know, like I love the roller coaster feeling like right before you're about to j- jump off of a roller coaster. Um, that is the feeling I get every time. It's an adrenaline rush right before you hit stage. But once you're on stage for me, it's home. It's like a living room to me. Like I actually feel more comfortable speaking on a large stage than I am like sometimes going to a very small intimate event sometimes because yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, wonderful feeling. And I feel like I am my most authentic self when I'm on a large stage um, speaking to hundreds uh, or thousands of people. And so that was my journey was that it was a fear that I wanted to conquer. I was encouraged into positions. That really helped me um, cultivate that skill set. Also, gave me opportunities to practice. And through my entire, you know, career, um, I've been able to present, speak, um, just like at South by Southwest. And I have a huge speaking engagement coming up next year, which I'm excited to um, to do. So, but I have no announcements yet. But excited for listeners who are going to follow my journey.
0: Uh, for sure. We will be tuning in. I can. I love that. I agree. Bigger stages are less scary. I was on the biggest stage I've ever been on in South by Southwest this year. It was like a huge room. It was just after Jonathan Van Ness. I was like, I don't have a Netflix special. There's no way I can follow Jonathan Van Ness. No, thank you very much. But there's something about that, um, yeah, that feels empowering. Like it kind of, the energy of the room carries you. I, I couldn't agree more of that. Um, Okay, there's so many things I want to ask you about that. Before I do, so unless we need the context of the latter part of your career, you became an entrepreneur, you were a CEO and co-founder of a company, and then you ended up doing this really incredible work at Amazon and video. But I'm curious – Can you give us a sneak peek of like, what are your signature messages that you are now sharing with the world? What lights you up? When you, you, your face lit up when you were thinking about this really big stage coming up for you, what are these topics and messages that people are seeking out from you and that gave you that glow that I just saw in your face that you're so excited to share with the world? What are the common
1: themes? Yeah, some of the common things is inclusive leadership. So, what does it mean to be inclusive? Um, that is a hot topic right now. D&I, diversity, equity, inclusion is definitely a something that folks are really excited to learn about. Um, just because I know that's a, a, a part of my a, a part of my superpower is that, especially culturally, as a native Hawaiian, being inclusive, making people feel like they belong, connecting, building community. Is something that I know that is um my superpower and a lot of companies are trying to crack that that nut and they also it's a million dollar question because like how do we retain our talent it is a competitive landscape in tech, and if people feel like they don't belong they will leave now um it's no longer a you know we're the best company work for us it's more so it's a candidate you know like I am I, especially if you're a person of color in in tech <laughs> you know you are being um you know sought after for and so you have the power and so no longer is that going to be the um the case and so how are companies solving for that solution but also what why um another topic and theme is that you know talking about poc only spaces why is it important for for um people of color especially women of color to have their own spaces you know number one is psychological safety two is building community with one another, especially when you experience social isolation, but also career isolation when you're the only, you know, you're the few, the, the only, and like, how do you create connection and, and see folks for, for, you, for you? Because there's such a barrier that women of color face within their careers. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about these topics, but the most um, people hire me mostly to talk about inclusive leadership. So that leads us into
0: you being an entrepreneur, that phase of your career where you were founding, you were the CEO. Some of our listeners have made, have taken the plunge like I did. I, I left uh, Google about three and a half, almost four years ago now to found my own company. It is a wild ride coming from another organization <laughs> into founding one of your own. What are your top tips, especially among creating these environments that you've just described where people feel empowered to be their full self or where they, we have the psychological safety? How did you approach that as you were starting your own company? And then I'm curious your experiences in doing that in larger corporate environments, the different challenges and nuances to getting that right once you're trying to infiltrate that and permeate that is a better word, permeate that throughout a larger organization.
1: Yeah. So uh, when, I, when, we, when I started uh, Future for Us, it's a very small company. It was a startup. It's a social impact um, startup. And it, being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur is like getting your MBA. And it's, it is something that I feel that if you really want to challenge yourself and push yourself to get to the best version of yourself, entrepreneurship is it. Because when it comes to risk taking, talking about like really pushing yourself to a limit of like what can you produce? who are you as a person, how you show up in business and for your for your clients, um, and risking it all. Um, entrepreneurship is definitely is not for the faint of heart, um, but it is a phenomenal experience that I am truly grateful that I had the opportunity to do. Um, a lot of people do not have the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and take that risk, uh, but it was a, 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 such a great learning lesson. Um, and when you're at a small startup Phase. I do get hired a lot from startups and small to mid-sized companies. And, you know, what does it mean to create an inclusive culture is once is to look at your 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 company as a whole, right? Like, what are your diversity, equity, inclusion goals, strategies? And like, what is and let's piece it out into different pillars, right? One is like hiring and retaining. How are we hiring and retaining talent? How are we attracting and growing our talent? How are we creating a inclusive culture? And then how are we, you know, um, holding leaders, um, accountable and how we, ho- how we creating engagement. And then three is the community engagement. I mean, the fifth is community engagement. So like figuring out what your overall diversity, equity, inclusion pillars and your goals, and then c- conquering them, um, one by one. Right. Um, that to me is strategically how I, we would approach things and being intentional about the folks that you work with, um, and intentional in the programming um everything from people that you know consultants that we hire the people that we work with um how we even design you know we were in, first off like first year was a very event based service based company i like everything from design you know if, if you know my dream was that imagine if i'm a woman of color in america in in seattle washington which is still predominantly white what would it look like if i walked into a room where it looked like me or designs was like me, right? Like we imagine walking to a space where it, everything was designed for me, by me. Um, and that was the experience that we wanted to create for our customer, for our clients, for our community members, uh, because it creates a sense of, um, of psychological safety, um, healing, uh, especially when we talk about women of color in their careers, because there's so much trauma and a lot of, um, Uh, a lot of trauma within that happens with a lot of women's careers. So besides that, I don't want to go on a rant here, but that is how um, startups and small companies can look at building an inclusive culture. And now when we talk about a large corporation, um, uh, that is a little bit, that's a little bit tougher because when you are not a startup, you know, you can build that foundational culture, right? And not have to go back. But a lot of these larger tech companies, You've been in the business for about twenty years, um, even though in this in the landscape of the Fortune 500 companies, it's still relatively young. Um, you still need to walk back and really undo, unlearn, and destruct. You know, and really dismantle the structure in which you created um, that has been harmful, right? And then, how do you start over?
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. Um... One, I'm so encouraged to hear that the majority of your clients were at that earlier stage. That gives me so much hope for the future, that people recognize this as an essential part of their foundation building as they're getting going. So that warms my heart. And I am thinking back to my career because I did start in tech very, very early in the early 2000s and kind of watched it grow up in some intentional ways and some unintentional ways of just sort of making it up as we went. And one of the changes in hiring standards um, that the way that hiring standards have changed is probably one of the glaring examples to me. Because in the beginning, I was often the only woman in the room. I was 100% the only person who did not go to one of the top five Ivy League schools. I went to great schools. I went to University of Washington for undergrad, and I went to Berkeley for my PhD studies, which I dropped out of to join Google. Um, But I felt that difference, that I didn't have that same background, that they did, and I didn't come from those environments that they grew up in, and that was a big challenge. But when I was originally trained to be uh, an interviewer, we were looking for that culture fit, and I'm so glad that it is now shifted to looking for passion and mission alignment. Is that something that you address early is how do you recognize candidates who have, their, have the promising skills but packaged in a different background or it, it's been expressed or developed in,
1: in a different way? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, there is a way of looking at hiring practices where you can still hire people with a diverse, like, skill set or background, uh, but still aligned with the company's values, right? Like, they think when companies are hiring for folks, they are looking for folks who have the same values, um, you know, also have the same um, aligned mission, you know, uh, aligned leadership values um, and skill sets and it is especially at an amazon level we are talking about some of the most intelligent ambitious folks out there who are just like skilled problem solvers these are people who are trying to solve problems um and and to me that was the most inspiring so i think when you're talking about you know how do we hire folks um that doesn't necessarily is a culture fit it's about do are they aligned to our values and how we operate as a company in terms of leadership? You can have different leadership styles, but do we align in values? So I feel like that's what um, companies are looking for these days.
0: I'm so glad that you are running this charge. There is nothing more beneficial for a company that wants to add elements of innovation and incredible problem-solving levers. There's direct correlation between the diversity in the room and that kind of innovative, creative, problem-solving thought process. So I'm so grateful that someone like you is leading the charge on that. What does your – so you now – let's see, your title at Amazon – let me scroll back up. I'd move down below in my notes. Okay. So you now at Amazon are the global diversity, equity, and inclusion leader for Prime Video and Amazon Studios. That sounds very glamorous. I'm imagining red carpets, but I don't know if that's what actually your day-to-day life involves so much. Can you give us an idea of what your average projects or challenges or day, day-to-day day is like?
1: That's so funny. It's definitely <laughs> not red carpet. So. <laughs> I wish. Um, no. So yeah, so um, I'm leading diversity, equity, inclusion for Prime Video and studios, and it's a massive organization. So You know, one side, Prime Video side, is the technology side of our organization. So we talk about technologists, uh, the people who build the app, um, create that experience for you as a customer, if you are Prime Video um, viewers. And the other side is studios. So we have a full studios from everything from getting executive producers, actors, writers, the whole gamut. So like think about Universal Studios, right? The traditional studio. Structured um, entertainment, so it's technology and, and entertainment together, uh, and so that is the work that I'm doing. Some of the project, I mean, I can't really go in specifically onto the projects that I'm working on, but it is about building an inclusive culture within um, Prime Video and Studios um, and supporting employees. So I'm more on the internal side. So we have a DNI, um, we have a DNI team that w- focuses on um, diversity, equ- equity, inclusion for the external products, so everything that you see, making sure that we have, um, you know, the way that we hire actors, writers um, is is inclusive. But are, are we telling diverse stories? Are they coming from diverse voices? Uh, but also on my internal side is like, the folks who are working on this product, are they diverse? Are we hiring people who are, are diverse? Um, are we actually making them feel included in the way that we build our products for our customers? Uh, and it's creating that internal experience uh, measuring them goals, holding leaders accountable. And that is a lot of my work.
0: Incredible. Next time I come home to Seattle to visit my family, because they still live in Redmond, my parents and half of my siblings are still there. I would love to come see it because I can only imagine the way that the team has grown since I was in, er, in the original Med building. Um, yeah. And so I would love to kind of come and see the environment and this incredible environment that you're so dedicated to um, Creating not only for the internal team but the ripple effect of that is enormous. When we're more inclusive on those who are on the internal design strategy side of it, that ripple effect is huge. Um, I'm just very excited about your work. And it's such a fun full circle moment for me to see Amazon growing up. But now in your career, you're also giving back. You're a mentor and example in so many ways, and you have also are now using that influence on boards. I know your membership in the board of directors for the Hawaii People's Fund is dear to your heart. I would love to hear more about that and the projects
1: and um, things that you're doing through that organization. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I'm a proud board member of Hawaii People's Fund, and it is a fun fun to really... Uh, support need uh, um, nonprofits out in in Hawaii and like on base. I mean trust based philanthropy. Um, and so what we do is that we raise funds and we redistribute it out to the grassroots movement. So radical grassroots movement uh, builders out in Hawaii that most foundations do not uh, fund. Um, we are we um, kind of we're flipping the script on philanthropy um, because a lot of philanthropic foundations have, um, they distribute money, but it's restricted funds. And so what we do um, within our organization is unrestricted funds. And what that means is that we trust these organizations because they are the ones doing the ground, on the boots on the ground work, especially in Hawaii. And, you know, we're the ones who support them when they need emergency funding or grant funding, or we're the folks who do it. And we do it differently. Uh, we totally restructured the way that we do philanthropy, and which is really transformative in the work that we do, especially on a very values-driven um, industry um, that is predominantly white, you know, um, and affluent. Um, what does it look like to be in philanthropy and be a Native Hawaiian ourselves? You know, imagine being um, a grassroots grassroots builder um, and receiving funds for somebody from somebody who looks like me, uh, who understands the culture, who understands the community. Um, and that's what I'm excited about is that um, I'm actually flying to Molokai, Hawaii, um, in about two or three weeks. And I will be meeting some of our grantees out there, um, re- pretty much um, re- uh, restoring some of the um, um, sacred areas of Molokai, which is a, a, um, a space who's went through a lot of trauma and through colonization impact. Um, because Hawaii is one of the most visited places on Earth. Um, and that takes a lot of resources from the land. And then, what does it mean to restore that land and ke- and keep keep it being regenerative, right? Because a lot of the times that we keep, continue, I mean, we see it right sustainability. And so, that a lot of our work is focused on environmental sustainability. Um, you know, working for Native Hawaiian people and and el- in, in the health. Um, and I'm excited because we continue to fundraise. If you are a frequent like um, um a visitor to Hawaii and you love Hawaii, and it's been some of your best memories in Hawaii. I really encourage listeners to uh, donate and contribute directly to hawaiipeoplesfund.org. We do incredible work. So we still have Hawaii to visit um, and learn from. And it's a beautiful place that we want to continue to have in the future.
0: I have 1 million follow-up questions to everything we've just talked about. But in the interest of respecting your time, I'm going to end with a final question, which is really two. One is what excites you about the future because you've done so many incredible things. Now I'm curious what you're uh, excited to try on next, and how can we follow along? How can we follow along on your journey? Connect with you online, social, etc.
1: Oh, I am so um, excited and looking forward to these young leaders. I am. I'm only. I'm 31 now, and I'm still considered a young leader. But the the young leaders in teenagers to early 20s. Um, they are blowing my mind the fact the way that they are advocating uh the way that they're dismantling systems the way that they're speaking up for themselves um mental health wise and their families and their communities i'm blown away by them and we don't say that enough you know i think a lot of our as generations we like to blame the next generation for things happening but for them to carry this heavy burden this weight of the world on their shoulders um, but being more expressive, being more uh, emotionally intelligent, the more that they're being invested, you know, they're investing back into their communities and the, the way that they're trying to solve problems. I am just inspired. Um, and I, you know, I feel a weight on our shoulders as the elder generation um, that we've given them so much to deal with. But I think we have a future that will be led by um young leaders who are just well, more well equipped, but also um, more, more resources. And I'm excited for that. I'm sorry. What was your next question? Sorry. Yeah.
0: How can we follow along with all of this? You're so purpose driven. You're so enthusiastic about it. And I imagine so many listeners want to participate, follow your example, and also support all these projects you have going on. What's the best way to connect with you and stay tuned for what you've got going on?
1: Yeah, so follow me on LinkedIn. So definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Sage Kiamno um, on LinkedIn. Um, That is where all of my work is going to be promoted. Um, You know, I have written a lot of uh, articles on Forbes uh, specifically about diversity, equity, inclusion training. So if you are a company interested to learn some more tips um, on creating inclusive cultures, I've written a lot of um, articles through Forbes on there. But I also have written, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, I've written for... um, some articles for Fast Company and Entrepreneur Mag. And that's something that you can tap into. Also, if you are a, um, a company or organization who wants somebody like me to speak to your ERG groups, your employee resource groups, or to your leadership, I definitely would love to hear from you. So just contact me on LinkedIn.
0: Incredible. Sage, thank you for sharing your wisdom, for inspiring everyone to recommit to their purpose and finding their mission and to sit in the front seat of their life and to really grab onto that steering wheel and drive. I I found this conversation really inspiring. Thank you so much for being
1: here. Mahalo and thank you.